Welcome to the Wednesday Night Bible Study with Don Williams. This podcast is in honor of Don's legacy and teaching. He lived what he preached. Enjoy. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, this letter breaks up really into uh, two parts. Chapters 1 and 2 deal with uh, the centrality of Jesus Christ and His uh, uh, greatness over all the false alternatives, all the competitive uh, things that are there, you might say, in the religious marketplace and how Jesus Christ is uh, is sufficient and adequate and final and, and supreme and He is the fulfillment of the shadow of those things uh, which were... Uh, revealed in the Old Testament. So what we have in chapters 1 and 2 is both a positive and then you might say uh, the, the uh, assertive and then defensive presentation of the complete fullness of Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul then uh, lays out how we are to live based upon who Christ is. So in a sense, this is the response, who we are in Him based upon who He is for us and who He is in us. So uh, let's read uh, starting in chapter 3 at verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no uh, Greek or Jew circumcised, pardon me, here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. 
Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to stop the reading at that point. Paul then goes on, uh, and we uh, saw this a few weeks ago when we introduced the letter, talking about uh, uh, a whole network of relationships and things that are going on between himself as he writes this letter from Rome and uh, the Colossians and uh, the uh, Laodiceans and some people who are now uh, moving from Paul to minister to the church and what have you. And then he gives uh, greetings um, from uh, uh, at, at the end of the letter and commands that the letter be read uh, in the church and and in the church at Laodicea as well. So there are these final greetings and, and what have you that, that bring the letter to an end. So uh, we'll not read uh, that again tonight. But let's, um, let's go then to chapter 3, and I want to first begin with um, verses 1 through 4. And Paul tells us two things here. First of all, who we are, and secondly, based upon who we are, uh, what we what we need to do. In other words, we need to make a response based upon who we are. And uh, Paul talks about things having transpired in us that determine now who we are. And uh, let's let's read again uh, the first three verses. Paul says, "Since then you have been raised with Christ." Notice it's in the past tense here. You have been raised, and notice it's also passive. It's both both past and passive. This is something that's already happened. You have been, and, uh, and, and you haven't raised yourself, but you've been raised. That's the passive sense of the verb. Since you've been raised with Christ, now here's the active imperative. Set your hearts on the things that are above. Okay, so here's who you are, or, and, and now here's what you are to do. Okay, uh, set your th- uh, hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, once again, Paul tells us who we are. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then Paul goes on from this to a uh, very uh, kind of personal and practical exhortation Uh, starting in verse 5. But I want to focus, to begin with, on the first three verses of chapter 3. And uh, this is the thesis, okay? And this is something that we need to try to really uh, get a hold of. And that is, first of all, Jesus Christ came into the world and accomplished certain things. Okay, he was crucified. Uh, uh, That's, uh, of course, the climax of his ministry and his life. He went to the cross and died there for your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the whole world. So he was put to death. Of course, he then uh, was resurrected or raised from the dead. uh, And uh, on the first Easter, he conquered death. He then ascended into heaven and reassumed his position of authority over all things. Where is Jesus Christ tonight? Well, in terms of his, um, uh, you you might say, his his, uh, real or physical presence tonight, he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He's in the position of honor, in the position of glory. At the same time, through his spirit, when we invite him into our hearts and we repent of our sins and receive him into our hearts, Jesus Christ lives in us by his spirit. 
but he reigns now at the right hand of God. And he's not only crucified for our sins, uh, died on the cross for our sins, he's been raised from the dead, he has ascended into heaven and reigns, he also will return in glory. So here we have, uh, uh, you might say, critical events, some that have already taken place, and one that is yet to take place, which determine the ministry, you might say, the fullness of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's dealt with sin on the cross, he's dealt with death in his resurrection, he's dealt with authority in his reign, and he will uh, deal then with, you might say, the ultimate reality of all things in his glorious return. Now, when you receive Christ into your heart, when you by faith repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and you give your life to him, you are united to him through faith. In other words, you, uh, you not only receive Christ into your life, you are united to him by his spirit, which means that you belong to the Christ who died, who was raised from the dead, who reigns now at the right hand of God and who will return in glory and his life, death, resurrection, reign, and return now becomes your death, resurrection, reign, and return. In other words, what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, he would do in you and in me. And our spiritual biography, if you will, or autobiography, is determined by his spiritual biography. And so what Paul sees is that in being united to Christ, we are united to his death, to his resurrection, to his reign, and his return. And so there's something in each one of these events for you and for me. In other words, we don't just look back on that and say, well, isn't it wonderful? Christ died for our sins, and he's been raised from the dead, and he's reigning in heaven now, and one day he'll come again, and we believe this, and it's wonderful, and what have you. We are specifically united to each one of those events, and there's something in it for you and for me. Look at it. Since you've been raised with Christ, and it's a compound verb in the original language, uh, raised together is, is, is the verb. It's a single word expressing this union with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. In other words, when Jesus Christ came out of the grave, uh, he, uh, you know, he became the risen Lord, and when you and I become Christians, we are raised out of the grave. We are raised out of the death of our old life under the judgment of God, we're brought into the new life uh, which uh, we receive in Jesus Christ and we're united not only to the crucified Christ, and Paul will say a word here in a moment about our having died with him in verse 3, we're not only united to the crucified Christ, we're united to the risen Christ, which means that his resurrection is also our resurrection and his new life then is our new life. The very life that he received when he was raised from the dead now becomes our life as we're united to him. So, we've been raised with Christ, Paul says. And because we've been raised with Christ, in other words, because we now have a new resurrection life with him, and because he's not only been raised from the dead, I'm anticipating what Paul's going to say in just a moment, he is now reigning at the right hand of God. He's in the position of honor and glory over the whole universe then you and I need to respond to that, understanding now that we have this new life united to the risen Christ, and our, you might say, uh, what we do based upon who we are, namely we're alive with Christ, is to set our hearts on the things that are above. So notice how Paul 
proclaims something, and then he exhorts us to something, okay? He tells us who we are, and then he tells us what we must do. Okay, we've been raised with Christ, and therefore set your hearts, Paul says, on things that are above. And this is a present active imperative, which means this. Keep on setting your hearts. Or keep on seeking the things that are above. Okay? So, just kind of imagine yourself, or try to to think about yourself in this way. Okay? I lived an old life uh, in sin, separated from God, under his judgment. I repented of that life, and I received Jesus Christ into my life. When I received him into my life, I died to that old life, and now the very life of Christ is my life, which means it's the resurrection and reigning life of Jesus Christ, which I am now connected to. And since I have not only been raised into a new life with him, but I am united to the one who is reigning at the right hand of God the Father, then I have the privilege and the responsibility of setting my mind on the things that are above, namely where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So my mind now is turned to, you might say, the reality of my union with the reigning Lord Jesus Christ and the heavenly things, the things that are above, namely God's whole perspective on uh, on life that comes through his word and his revelation needs to be the set of my mind as I walk through this world. In other words, I'm no longer determined simply by, um, you know, by this material world or this world uh, without reference to the spiritual reality of Jesus Christ, but my mind is now determined by the fact that, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that I've been united to the Christ who reigns above. And so Jesus Christ and his truth and his word and his life uh, and his authority is to infuse my mind the way that I perceive this world now, and I need to actively be turning to him, to the Lord who reigns over all things, and continually turn my mind to those things rather than simply being carried away by, uh, by the trivial uh, lies and deceptions and illusions of, 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 of this world. So... I need to see myself united to the risen, reigning Lord Jesus Christ and then respond, make that, that uh, continual response of my, of my mind or my heart, uh, turning toward him, uh, reigning at the right hand of God. Uh, look at verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things, for you died. Okay, so your uh, connection to simply earthly things, the things of this world, has been severed when you became a Christian because you died to the earthly things, the, the, the old life, okay, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you, uh, 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 your true life is no longer determined by earthly things in this world, but it's determined by belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, although he's uh, been taken physically and visibly out of this world, is reigning at the right hand of God and you are hidden in him. In other words, your your, uh, your, your true life is there with the reigning Lord Jesus Christ. But that which is hidden now will become visible later. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So while our true life is not visible in this world, the spiritual reality of being united to the risen Christ can't be seen in this world. Now, when he comes in glory, when he returns we will also be glorified in him and with him in two ways. If we've died prior to his return, 
We'll be raised, our bodies will be raised from the dead, reunited to our spirits, transformed and conformed to him. And so there will be that appearance, that visual appearance of glory. Uh, and those of us who remain until the coming of the Lord will be immediately transformed physically as well as uh, the spiritual work completed in us. And we will be glorified, our earthly bodies will be glorified at the moment of his return. And then the glory will appear. Now it's hidden, then it will be revealed. So, what Paul is saying is, this reality, Christ crucified, dying to the old life, resurrected, receiving the new life, reigning in heaven over all things, in, 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 and, and then returning in glory, the reality of Jesus Christ himself in these critical events now is to determine our lives, and so our hearts are to be set toward him and our minds are to be set on the things that are above, verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 3. So this means a whole reorientation of our minds and our hearts, and again, their present imperatives, we need to keep on doing this. So this is kind of the daily walk of, uh, and you might say, well, Don, how does this become, you know, I mean, this sounds good and it's theological and junk like that, right? So how, how does this become real to me? Well, First of all, we need to know this, that, that we're united to Christ in his death, resurrection, reign, and return. Okay, that's number one. And number two, we then need to be, we need to begin to see ourselves in this way. So what has to change is the way that I perceive myself. And I need to see myself now as united to Christ, dying to the old life and dead to the old life, um, resurrected in the new life, hidden with him, in his glory, and one day revealed in all of his glory and glorified in him. And so you might say, this now becomes the history of my life, and out of that reality, then uh, I'll say no to the old life of sin and despair, and yes to the new life, and uh, and, 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 and the, you might say the, the, the practical exhortation that Paul then engages in, starting in verse 5, is dependent upon this spiritual reality that he uh, sets forth in verses 1 through 3, or pardon me, in, in verses 1 through 4. So, so once again, your new life in Christ is determined by what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Um, and at each point, his death is my death. So because Christ died, I belong to the Christ who died, I die. And to become a Christian is to die. It's to die to an old life, our old life, okay? But it's not only to die, that's the negative, but it's also to live. And because Christ died and was raised from the dead, I then enter into that new life. That new life enters into me. The Spirit of God comes into me when I repent of my sins. He transforms me. I'm born again. Uh, I'm reborn. I'm born spiritually on the inside. And the very resurrection life of Jesus Christ is given to me when I receive him in, in, into my life. But now my heavenly destination uh, is, uh, is, is secured in the one who reigns and the one who will return. So Paul says, that's the foundational reality. Now live this way. So day by day, what I need to do, and, and this is kind of a, you might say, a process, if you will, uh, for my life, is I need to, to uh, affirm who I am in Christ. I need to make that affirmation. And you might say, as much as uh, 
even though uh, my experience may seem to deny that reality. So I need to say, yes, I've died to the old life. I no longer am indebted to that. I'm no longer bound to that old life of sin, of compulsiveness, of, uh, of uh, idolatry, sensuality, deception. The old life, I'm not bound to that. I've died to that. Lord, I'm alive in you. I'm a new creature, uh, a new creature. Uh, creation, a new creature in you. Your life is in me, Lord. I receive that. I believe that. You live in me through your spirit. I belong to you and you're reigning now. So Lord, help me to focus on you in your glory, in your authority, in your power. And one day you'll come and transform me and conform me completely to yourself. And I believe that today. And today I'm going to live my life based upon who I am in you. Not what the world says about me, but what you say about me. And Lord, make this more and more real in my life. So that's the perspective from which then we move into uh, the Christian life as Paul lays it out here. Okay, now if this is true, you see, if you, when you became a Christian, if you really died, then based upon that fact, as Christ died and you died in him, then simply put to death, Paul says, namely, say no to those things that represent the old life which you've died to, okay? And what is that? Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, namely your fallen sinful nature, okay? And Paul gives us a suggestion here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed or covetousness, which is idolatry. So you've died to this. Now put it to death. In other words, what has already happened objectively in becoming a Christian, make it real subjectively in your experience. Well, how do you do that? How do I put to death? Okay, I find inside of me this, this uh, fallen nature. Uh, sexual immorality, uh, impurity, evil uh, desires, and greed. So I find this in me. Okay, Don, how do I put that to death? Spiritually, I put that to death by simply uh, th- through, through repentance. Lord, I repent of those desires of those things in me that are displeasing to you, the lust in my life, the uh, the greed in my life, I turn from that, I repent of that. That's number one. Number two, you might say in, in, in terms of this, of, of this putting to death, uh, from a, you might say from a psychological point of view, I, spiritually I repent of those things and I detach or I let go of those things uh, which are the objects of my evil desires and greed and lust and sexual immorality. In other words, again, which and, and when Paul gets to the end of this list, he says, which is idolatry. So what I do is I renounce and repent of the idols in my life, and I detach myself from the objects of my idolatry. Okay, so um, say, uh, uh, say I'm... Uh, uh, caught up in sexual sin, sexual fantasies and sexual sin, okay? I repent of that. I say, Lord, I know that this is not your will for me. I know that you've called me to purity, to health, sexually. I know that, uh, um, uh, that uh, you know, you, you have a, uh, you know, a righteous way for me to live as a sexual being. And so I renounce uh, the lust and the fantasies in my life, and I repent. I tell you, I'm sorry for it, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me. Okay, 
As I do that, then I'm breaking from the power of those things in my life. At the same time, then, I need to detach from the objects of my lust. And so, if I have, you know, Playboy magazine and Penthouse magazine, I need to go put those in the trash. I need to walk out on the end of the crystal pier and tie a brick, you know, around them and toss them in the ocean. In other words, it's not enough to just say, oh, Lord, I repented this, but of course I'm going to keep this little stash right here, you know, uh, because you know, you know how, you know, insincere I am in this repentance. No, I need to repent. I need to let go. I need to detach. I need to renounce. And let me say something that isn't in the text here, but in James chapter 5, James says this, you know, uh, that we are to confess our sins one to another and pray for each other in order to be healed. And one of the most powerful tools that God has given to us to deal with the old nature, which we have already died to because we belong to the Christ who who was crucified on the cross, one of the most powerful tools, both of healing and release in our lives, is to have a trusted Christian friend with whom we can confess the things that are compulsive in our lives and receive prayer for those things and, uh, uh, and God's healing and release. And so as we bring stuff out of the darkness into the light and as we bring it before the Lord, and I believe also with with those whom we trust and have a, some intimacy with, as we br bring those to each other and receive prayer for them, that we're going to find release from the power that they have in our lives. And Paul says, see, we have died, now put them to death. In other words, I have a response to the fact that I've died to the world and died to these things, and my response is then to say yes to what God has done to deliver me and release me from, uh, from, from this old life. And again, let me say to you that this is definitely a process and that's why Paul's exhorting us to do it <laughs> I mean if this were if we were perfect if we didn't have any lust or immorality or greed or idols in our lives if that you know had all been already dealt with Paul wouldn't write this but the reason why Paul writes this is because we have got to deal with these things and we've got to deal with them on a daily basis we have to continue to deal with them um, and uh, and say no to the old life and yes to the new life now, why should we say no to this? Look at verse 6. Paul says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. In other words, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed draw and attract the wrath of God. And so, uh, you might say, they, are, uh, they, they, they actually bring God's wrath into being. They are a, they, in Romans 1, Paul says they are a sign, uh, they, they manifest the wrath of God. And here in Colossians 3, Paul says they bring the wrath of God. So I need to get them out of my life and, and, and put, put them to death because not only because they are uh, immoral and they harm me and they hurt me and what have you, but also because they attract God's judgment. And they're a part of this old life that I have died to, already died to in Christ. Paul says again in verse 7, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. And then now he gives another list. And this has to do, again, with, with, with inner attitudes that then manifest themselves in, in, in behavioral um, issues. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, uh, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. 
So what Paul is saying here is, say no to this and then say yes to this, okay? In other words, take this off and put this on. Look at again in verse 5, put to death, then in verse 9, you have taken off, and then verse 10, and have put on the new self. So in saying no to those things and repenting of them when I when God exposes them in my lives, in, in my life, um, and affirming the new self and the new person that I am in Jesus Christ and asking God to make this more and more real in me, this change then is, uh, is uh, uh, affected in my life. Now, I've been a Christian for 40-some years, and uh, I still have sexual thoughts that are not entirely pure. Um, I uh, can become covetous of people and things. Um, I've been known to get angry. Um, I do fairly well with slander and filthy language. That isn't too much of a problem for me. But so when I graze down this list, I can pick out things that are troubling in my life, okay? And here I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. Uh, well, gosh, you mean these things are still going on? Yes, they are. How do you deal with them? How I deal with them is recognizing, first of all, that the power of these things to determine my life has been broken because I have died with Jesus Christ on the cross to these things. And now I am free no longer to be, you might say, simply compulsively in bondage to them, but I'm free to say no to them, to repent of them, to receive God's forgiveness for them, to renounce their power in my life, and to really believe in faith tonight that God is changing these things in me. And what I simply want to say to you tonight is that while I'm not sinless, and I don't present myself in that way at all to you, Things are better than they were, and I should have my wife now come. She's lived with me for 22 years and see if this is really true or not. Um, but I think she might say that, <laughs> that things have gotten better over the years. In other words, that God is changing me as I am actively dealing, accepting my responsibility for, you know, for what he has done for me in Christ and what he's doing in me. So here's, here's the thing. Do you really want to be free from these things? In other words, are you willing to, to align your will with the will of God? And if so, then the promise of God is that he will deal with these things in your life and my life so that more and more we will become like Jesus and less and less like the fallen, uh, rebellious uh, uh, you know, human beings that we are without him. So, 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 so we can say no and we can agree with God and say no to those things that uh, displease him and that damage us. And, uh, and I believe that there's not only, you might say, moral character that God wants to build in us uh, through repentance and, and, uh, and, and receiving his forgiveness and trusting him, but I also believe that at the same time, God brings great healing into our lives to deal with the roots of many of these issues. Let me give you an example. Paul here exhorts us uh, against a, a anger, rage, malice, and slander, and filthy language. And by the way, there's somewhat of a sequence there, isn't it? You get really mad, you get madder and madder, then the rage begins to come, you go out of control, and what do you do? You start slandering people, telling them off, right? You use filthy language, and all this you know, profanity begins to bubble up, 
uh, and uh, you can even maybe surprise yourself at times. So the rage then triggers off the profanity. Uh, okay, well, how, how, how do you deal with that? Again, part of it is just saying, Lord, I'm really sorry. I got mad. I got angry. I went out of control. I repent of that. Uh, okay, and that's part of the process. Another part of the process is to recognize that there are roots to that anger that God wants to deal with. Okay? Rick Whitehill, who's on our staff, I remember him saying this to me a few years ago. He said, Don, he said, anger is a secondary emotion. And behind anger lies one of two things. Uh, uh, hurt, rejection, or anxiety and fear. So either when people get angry, they've either been hurt or they're afraid. And so what I need to do if I'm dealing with anger is to recognize that this anger and the bitter fruit that comes cursing and telling people off and bearing all this resentment and what have you, that this is hurting other people and it's hurting me. And what I need to recognize is that that angry response is, is a reaction to other things going on inside of me that God wants to address and heal. And where I've been hurt, maybe by rejection in the past and I'm vulnerable to that, God wants to come with uh, security and acceptance and love and, uh, and, and build that into my life where I'm afraid and I get angry out of my fear. Once again, God wants to bring healing and security uh, and uh, in, in such a way that these emotional reactions begin to be diffused of their power. If there's some demonic activity that goes on in relationship to those things, which is true with some people, then God wants to come and release me from that, that demonic power in my life. And he wants to bind that and, uh, and, and break its power and its authority in my life and set me free from that. And so there's a process of my, you might say, my, my, my moral decision to say no to those things. And then there's also a process of God's releasing me and healing me at the very roots of who I am, establishing me more and more securely in who I am in Jesus Christ, um, and uh, and building me up on the inside that, so that those things have less and less power over my life. I mean, the issue, for example, in sexual immorality isn't never think about sex again in your whole life. The issue is to ask God to really cleanse and purify the way that I think about sex so that I see the beauty of sex as God has created uh, created me as a sexual being so I can affirm that, so that I can affirm the beauty of marriage uh, so that if I am married, you know, I can build my sexual relationship with my wife uh, and, uh, and so that God will purify and focus and direct me into a healthy understanding of my sexuality. And as that happens, and also saying no to just the perversion around me as well. And that may mean, you know, turning off the tube and, you know, and, and, and getting some stuff out of my life that, that's, that's corrupting and perverting. But again, there's a healing that, that needs to take place for us sexually. There's a healing that needs to take place in terms of, of hurt and rejection in our lives. And the promise is that as we say, okay, I have a new life in Christ, and I'm inviting God into this life now to deal with me, um, that, that that will come forth more and more. And, uh, and, and, that's, and, and so we become then active participants with God in his purpose to make us more and more like God. Uh, like himself. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. Paul's, or Let's put it in the context again, verse 9. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So there's a renewal that goes on. And again, the verb is passive. This is God's work in us through his Holy Spirit. There's an inner renewal that goes on. And God's purpose is to recreate us and make us like himself. Namely, we're to become like our creator. And this goes right back to the opening chapter of Genesis where God made us in his image. We are to reflect the very character and life of God in this world. And that renewal takes place as we again say no to the old life, yes to the new life in faith, um, and then let God bring that renewal, uh, work that renewal in us by his Holy Spirit. And Paul then brings this paragraph to a close in verse 11 and simply uh, saying that beyond all of the divisions in this world, racial and and uh, and religious and what have you, there's this foundational unity. God made us in his image in Genesis chapter 1. We're being renewed in that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in the body of Christ, in the church, in the new life in Christ, in verse 11, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all, and it's Jesus Christ who's making us like God. It's his work in us. Okay, so I've, I've kind of covered a lot of things here, in, you know, uh, but let me, let me just restate them, okay? The first thing I need to know is what's happened to me when I became a Christian. I died with Christ. I've been raised with Christ into a new life. I now have a heavenly, you might say, perspective. I seek the things that are above where Christ is. My life belongs to him. It's hidden with him. One day it will be glorified with him. So that's the foundational reality. Based upon that, if that's true, and it is true, if I belong to Jesus Christ, then I need to align myself with God's will and his purpose and say no to the old life day by day and yes to the new life. My moral responsibility is to turn from sin, to repent, to ask God's forgiveness. You might say uh, my, uh, my, my personal responsibility then also is to detach from the objects of my sin, which, uh, which become addictive, compulsive, uh, which uh, become idolatrous in my life. And as I do that, and as I do that daily, and as I ask God to release me and heal me uh, and, and to make me more and more like his son, these things will be affected in us. And let me tell you, it's as big a miracle as being born again. And... And, uh, and this doesn't take place in isolation. I've also said this. We need to be involved in, in, with, with brothers and sisters who we can confess our sins to, who can pray for us in faith, uh, who can bring God's healing into our lives, who can command the demons to go, and who can be used as instruments of God's grace in us. And, and, and that's, the, that's, that's the functional reality of the church as the body of Christ. And if we enter into this, you know, my unconditional Don Williams given to you guarantee is that God will change you. And what we what we need to ask ourselves honestly is, you know, at each point along the way, do I really want to be changed? See, do I really want God to affect these changes? Or do I want to hold on to this? Do I want to carry these resentments around? Do I want to, you know, have this area of lust in my life that's just a, you know, uh, Meeting needs in my life. Do I, do I, you know, uh, do I want to have these idols in my life, or am I willing to affirm the truth of who I am in Christ and ask God to change me and avail myself of His healing grace and His power in my life? So that's what I have to ask. Okay.
Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, again, know who you are, holy and dearly loved. You're holy, you've been separated to Christ from the world, you're loved by him. Clothe yourselves, look again, see, Paul, Paul uses the metaphor of taking off the old dirty rags and then putting on the new garments in Christ. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So this is a whole new kind of life, isn't it? Um, and it's really the life of Christ Jesus taking form in us. Who is the most compassionate person in the whole world? I'll tell you who it is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is filled with kindness toward people? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is absolutely humble? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He humbled himself to come into this world. Who is gentle? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has infinite patience with us? <laughs> it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to do this in me when I am uh, you know, filled with bitterness, anger, resentment, pride, um, and I'm uh, uh, impatient and really uh, 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 you know, brisk with people? Okay, who's going to do this in me? Who's going to transform me? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So all I need to do is just simply say yes to that. Yes to what Jesus Christ wants to form in me and ask him to do it. And we can we, we we then become active, you know, aligning ourselves with the, with the will of God when we say to the Lord, Lord, bring your compassion to my life, make me a kind person, humble me. When was the last time you prayed for God to humble you? I mean, that's a dangerous prayer, you know. I mean, it really is because He'll do it. And. Uh, you know, so as we as we ask the Lord to do these things and then to form this in us, the transformation will take place. Okay, verse thirteen: Bear with each other, and that Don Williams paraphrase is simply put up with each other. You know, how good are you at putting up with people? I mean, we want to go around and fix everybody, right? And we want to transform them. I mean, this will destroy marriages. You know, if you marry somebody to change them. I mean, you will be changed in marriage, I guarantee that. But you don't marry someone to change them. Uh, they will change. You will change. But bear with each other. And catch the next one. Bear with each other, you know, and when you can't. I can't bear it any longer. Then Paul has the next word. Forgive <laughs> whatever grievances you may have against one another. Let me tell you, and this is not just in marriage, this is in any relationship. Let me tell you what is... What, what will destroy relationships, and that is collecting grievances and treasuring them and harboring them. And, uh, you know, and then waiting for the perfect moment to dump, you know, all these horrible things you've done to me, you know, and to dump all that in our, in our anger and our self-justification upon each other. But Paul simply says, forgive whatever grievances you may have. So it's not like denying the grievances, but it's saying, yes, that hurt me. Yes, I really felt badly when you said that. Yes, I, you know, I, uh, uh, you, you know, you really let me down and disappointed me and what have you, but I forgive you. So the secret to bearing with each other is to be able to forgive the grievances which we have against each other. And then look at the corker at the end of verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So you might say, well, Don, you know, boy, I've got these grievances. These people are really difficult in my life. You know, this person is driving me nuts. 
how can I possibly forgive him? Or how can I possibly forgive her? And the answer is, you go to the cross, you humble yourself, you kneel there, you ask Jesus to forgive you and give you the grace to forgive others. And when you see how, how deeply stained you are and how unworthy you are of God's forgiveness, and when you truly are humbled before him at the cross, then you will have the grace to begin to forgive others when you receive his forgiveness. So, that, so we are, again, simply to be renewed and to be made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who bears with all of the sin you know, and rebellion and sorrow of this world. He bears uh, with, with, uh, with us and with the whole world. And he continually lavishes his forgiveness upon us and upon this world. And therefore, since we're being renewed to be like him, this is the way we are to live. Um, and, uh, uh, and and loving. And that's the picture here that Paul paints. Now, we're then to open ourselves to let God do these things in us, to bring his peace and to bring his word and then to respond with worship and, and, and gratitude. Verses 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, give whatever is in your heart over to him and his peace will rule. It's just that simple. Whatever is troubling you, whatever is upsetting you, whatever is provoking anxiety in your heart, give it over to him and his peace will rule. Uh, since as members of one body, again, the body of Christ, you are called to peace and be thankful. So as we, uh, we release the anxiety in our hearts to him and ask his peace to come, then we're simply to, uh, to bring our praise and our worship to him. And believe me, that will break the power of fear and anxiety in our lives. Verse 15, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we are to receive his peace and we are to receive his word. Um, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So at, at both points, both through prayer, asking God's peace to come, and through faith, inviting God's word to come, the response then is to be worship, thanksgiving, gratitude, and praise to him. And so, uh, so what will that do? What does worship do? You know, what, what is it? What, as we open up our hearts to receive God's peace and turn our anxieties over to Him, what does it do? It takes our, the focus off of our anxieties onto Him. As we allow His Word to come into our hearts and dwell richly, what does that do? It takes us off of ourselves and onto Him, onto His Word, onto His truth, onto His revelation. And then we respond in worship. And what does worship do? Once again, worship lifts us from ourselves onto Him. So you see how the whole self-focused life is an absolute trap. <laughs> and what God wants to do is release us from that. And again, the foundation from that for that is that I've died with Christ I've been raised into a new life. I now walk in this new life, agreeing with God, saying no to the old life, yes to the new life, and then opening myself up to Him, uh, knowing that I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hidden with Him in the heavenly places and seeking Him, it, it, and, and then releasing the anxiety of my life and opening myself up to His peace and to His word and, uh, and, and giving Him praise. And Paul then concludes this, you might say, general uh, exhortation in verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name. This is under the authority and the lordship in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Christ then, bringing your worship and your praise to him. Well, 
This is, a, this is the Christian life. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever you say, <laughs> this is the ideal, okay? Whatever you say, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. And, and, uh, and, and, and bring your worship to Him. Many times people will ask me, well, Don, as a Christian, can I do this or that? Is this permissible? Is this, you know, is this acceptable? Is this morally okay? You know, my, a good way to answer that question for yourself is, can I do this freely and fully in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? If I can do it in His name, in other words, under His authority and to His glory, then I'm free to do it. I'm free to speak it. I'm free to do it. And if I can give thanks to God for it. You see, that I'm, I'm just released into, a, into glorifying God through the totality of my life. Well, having said this, then, Paul simply now deals with, you might say, the network of relationships that we have in this world. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, and masters. And he makes some application. And so wives are to submit to their husbands, and their submission is to be consistent with their submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we said when we were teaching from Ephesians 5 on this theme uh, more extensively, anything that is not consistent with their submission to the Lord, uh, they, they are not to, in other words, their submission to their husbands isn't unqualified, it's qualified by their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands are to love their wives, and Paul adds to this in Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And don't be harsh with them. So this is a love of sacrifice, of surrender, of service. Uh, it's not a, 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 a tyrannical, manipulative, controlling love, but it's a sacrificial, self-giving love which husbands are to lavish upon their wives. And for you wives or you potential wives, if you have trouble thinking about submitting yourself to your husbands, uh, in relationship to verse 18, um, consider verse 19. Because if your husbands love you as Christ loved the church, if your husbands love you uh, with that sac sacrificial self-giving love of the Lord Jesus Christ, then submission is no grim duty, but, but it's a liberating freedom for you. Okay? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, uh, one of the things that Paul is calling upon us, you, you know, and, and those of you who are parents uh, raising children or who uh, uh, one day will be doing this if you're not married, but you're thinking about getting married or planning to get married or you uh, want to have children someday. Uh, once again, notice who the, who the parents are that the children are to obey, obey in everything. The parents are the husbands and wives who belong to the Lord who submit and love each other. So again, this isn't this isn't a call for children to be, you know, uh, living in abusive families where they're uh, mentally and physically and emotionally, even sexually abused, and just submit to obey your parents and everything uh, and what have you. No, these these are children who belong to Christian parents, and therefore, in obeying their parents in everything, they are submitting themselves to the parents who are submitted to Christ and submitted to each other. And they're pleasing the Lord out of their submission and their obedience and receiving that discipline and direction within their families. And let me tell you, you know, you may think this is old fashioned Victorian kind of harsh and, 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 and primeval. Well, if these three verses applied to most families in this country, 
crime would be off the streets, the jails would begin to be emptied, the use of illegal drugs and the abuse of alcohol would diminish, you know, overwhelmingly in our country, and so much of what ails the nation would begin to be righted if if these simple verses were carried out and lived out in the lives of most of the families in our nation. And it's at and it's the rebellion and that we we've had and the you know and the and the uh, the attitude that we've got to be free from this restraint and we you know and and, and what have you which has sown so many of the bitter seeds of, uh, of of the breakdown in our nation today and it's catastrophic and uh, and it's overwhelming and and let me tell you one of the things that I believe with all of my heart is that uh, a part of what God wants to do in our nation is to restore and regenerate families and bring them to Christ and bring bring them under his lordship and to bring this into fruition and much of the healing of our land will begin to take place. Uh, notice uh, that uh, Paul uh, swings around in verse 21 with one more exhortation of fathers concerning their children. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So, the discipline that fathers are to exercise in the lives of their children is to encourage them, not to discourage them. And that's a big, there's a big difference, isn't there? And, and not, to, uh, not to bring bitterness into their hearts. Then Paul talks about slaves here. And basically what he's saying is, you work for Jesus Christ. So don't just work when the boss is around and then, you know, and then lean on the water cooler for, you know, a few hours. Remember, you're, you're, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, so have that attitude. And at the same time, Paul has a word for masters, or we could you know, say uh, employers in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, namely, take care of those who work for you, with, be, be just and fair with them, and know that your master is in heaven. Namely, you uh, are uh, submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so you serve him by the way that you treat those who work for you, or who are uh, under your authority. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is, and, and notice this, how, how we work this out, the new life that we have being united to the Lord Jesus Christ not only affects, you might say, motivation and behavior in terms of our own walk, but it also affects the network of relationships around us. So, Coming to Christ and belonging to Him is not only a personal, you might say a personal reality, but it then becomes a social reality. It affects marriage and family and parenting and, uh, and the marketplace. And what Jesus Christ has come to do, and Paul teaches this to the Colossians and in uh, other letters as well, what Jesus Christ has come to do is to redeem and to restore not only our own spirits or our own souls and open heaven's door, but he's come to redeem and restore our relationships in this life and through a new humanity to, to bring into being new families and, uh, and new uh, <clears throat> uh, work environments, if you will, where Jesus Christ is reigning as Lord and where the, the new life that God has given to us is being displayed in, the, in the renewed relationships with each other. And so there's this social impact, if you will. You see, and what we'll be hearing about uh, from Washington in the next couple of years, and uh, I see in the paper that the Republicans will bring their convention to San Diego in a couple of years, and believe me, it's going to be you know, a pretty wild time in, here in San Diego to have a national 
you know, uh, uh, convention here, uh, whatever your politics are, you know, it'll be, uh, you know, a very uh, kind of historic occasion for San Diego. But what we'll be hearing about again and again is, you know, the, 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 the crisis in our nation and here are the solutions to the crisis. And uh, a lot of things are going to be said, uh, you know, from both parties as they propose their political solutions. Uh, but there will be no lasting change in our nation apart from the change of the human heart. And the transformation has got to start here. But if it starts here, brothers and sisters, it doesn't end here. It impacts every relationship in life. And that's really what Paul is saying. And so you can't just let Jesus Christ into part of your life. You can't say, well, yes, Lord, I love you, but, you know, I'm going to keep these areas of my life for myself. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he is, and if he commands your life and my life, then we have to welcome him into every area of our lives, every attitude, every motivation, every relationship, because what he's come to do uh, is to restore the totality of our lives and to command every part of our lives. And again, look at verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, so Chris, when you go painting tomorrow, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. In other words, you be the best painter you can possibly be, not only for your own sense of value and not only to make the client happy and your boss happy, but you do it out of your uh, submission to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you do it in his name. Whatever you do in word or deed, you do it in his name. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can think to yourself tomorrow, you know, as you're spraying or rolling or whatever you do, you know, I'm Lord, I'm doing this in your name. I'm doing this for your glory. You know, I'll bet your painting would be better than ever, you know, and I know you're a good painter, you know, but, you know, I'm doing it, Lord, in your name. You know, this is for you, Lord. I mean, that's, you know, uh, that's the that's the attitude that God wants us to adopt. Lord, I'm doing this in your name. I'm doing this for you. I'm not just doing this for people. I'm not even just doing this for myself. Lord, I'm doing this for you. And I'm giving you the glory through it. And thank you, God. You know, thank you that I, you know, have the privilege of serving you through what you've given me to do right here, right now, today. Any questions? Yeah, I never asked for questions before, so <laughs> silence reigns. <laughs> I mean, I've really, you know, I've kind of dumped a lot on you tonight, you know, and I've moved rapidly through this. Um, but let me just let me just summarize it. Okay, know who you are in Christ, and think about living that out. In other words, my behavior needs to represent who I am in Christ, and so. If that's going to work for me, what I need to do every day is affirm who I am in Jesus Christ. You know, and I can follow this, this you know, what Paul says here. You know, I've died with Christ. I've been raised with Him. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm hidden with Him. You know, and, uh, and I'll be glorified with Him. What I think to myself, I think 
things like this. I don't follow this model exactly, but I think about things like this. Okay, who am I? I'm having an identity crisis. <laughs> so who am I anyway? And then I think just simple things like, okay, God has made me, you know, for himself. I belong to him. Christ has died for me. I've been adopted into God's family. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. Jesus Christ lives in me by his spirit. I'm destined for heaven. I'm on my way to heaven. John Wimber describes himself. He says, I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. He's being a little, you know, having a little fun in saying it that way. But, but okay, I'm, I'm destined for heaven. Okay, um, Jesus is Lord. I'm today, Lord, seeking to live to please you. That's who I am. I belong to you. Now, just take my life. Deal with the sin in my life. I repent of this. Or whatever it is, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me on the inside. Help me to live it on the outside in a way that will please you. Help me not to carry resentment. Help me to forgive the people that hurt me. Help me to bear up to the people that bug me. And change my relationships so that my relationships will more and more just reflect you. With my wife, with my friends, you know, whatever. I mean, it's kind of that simple. But that's turning this kind of heavy theological chapter into some simple terms. You know, and let me just challenge you to do this. I mean, Chris Nelson and I were just talking earlier today, and it's, I know it's happening in Chris's life. Chris has been a Christian now. He's coming on his two-year spiritual birthday really quickly. I know it's happening in Chris's life. It's happening in my life. And that is, you know, as, as we're just asking God to do these things, he does them. He changes us. He really does. If we'll get around to asking him in faith, you know, as much faith as the Lord will give us, Lord, you know, take away my jealousy. Take away my anger. Heal the hurt behind that. Help me to forgive people. I'm tired of bearing this resentment around toward people. I know it's not like you. Lord, forgive me and help me to be a more forgiving person. You just pray those things. You don't have to, I mean, in a way, you don't have to do, you know, Dale Carnegie courses and the power of positive thinking and, and, you know, and, 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 and try to get your mind around to do this and what have you. I guarantee if you ask God to do these things, He will work on the inside through His Spirit and He'll begin to change these things in you. And you won't even be that conscious of them until you'll look back and you'll say, God, you know, I haven't been angry for a long time. What's, what's wrong with me? You know, I, I used to just storm around. I'd throw things, you know. I, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, floor the gas and, you know, and, and ace everybody out on the freeway. You know, I just seem to be more peaceful, more relaxed. I, I don't know what's, what's happening to me, you know. And just, and you'll be able to look back and see those changes that God's working in. But the question is, do I will to will what he will. So I want these things to happen in my life. Well, I've gone over. Let's, let's stand and pray. And we'll take two weeks off. But please come back at the beginning of January and we'll pick up uh, with a new one of Paul's letters, okay?